Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. I suppose, that was excellent. That was really good. I've trained you after 23 and a half years. You're awake when worship starts. Beautiful. <laughs> Maybe we should try Happy Valentine's Day. Let's do that one. Happy Valentine's Day. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm so impressed that you all have come in from the gorgeousness that is outside. But actually, for those of us who were outside and getting a little bit overheated, it's nice to come inside. Regardless of where we are, regardless of when it is, we are here to worship the living God. So I extend a welcome to all of you. Some of you have been worshiping here for decades. Some of you are worshiping here perhaps for the first time. Some of you are worshiping online with us. In any event, we are all worshiping us. So it's good to have you here. Let us be called to worship now, focusing our hearts and minds on the Lord as we read responsively from the 24th Psalm. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, blowing it, distracted, didn't even believe in God, he loved us and gave us Christ who died to forgive us for those sins. 
When we confess together, we are reminded of that great grace that God has given us. Will you please join me in the prayer of confession? O God of mercy, you sent Jesus Christ to save lost humanity. Judge us with love and lift the burden of our sins. We confess that we are twisted by pride. We see ourselves pure when we are stained and great when we are small. We have failed in love, forgotten to be just, and have turned away from your truth. Have mercy, O God, and forgive our sins for the sake of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. So later today, many of you may be watching a game and at the beginning of the game, they will have a coin similar, at least in size to this, and they will flip it. And by chance, you may get lucky. God never works this way. God's grace is from everlasting to everlasting. God loves you. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who died and rose on our behalf so that we are never, never depending on a chance that God might love us. Amen. Now, may the peace of Christ be with you. Go out today, before the game maybe, <laughs> and with the uprights in your mind, lift your hands, put them around someone, and hug them and give them that peace which comes from Christ Jesus. Amen. Because God loves us, we are called to love each other and that makes us into a one big family. We're a rather interesting bunch of misfits, but here we are, and it's a great thing, isn't it? We want to be sure that everyone in the family knows what's going on, so let me remind you that the season of Lent is beginning on Wednesday, March the 2nd, and we will begin that season with our traditional worship service here in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock that evening. It is a service of repentance, a service of beginning a special season of looking inside our own souls and into our relationship with the Lord so that we might further receive his healing and renewal and repentance. The evening before, on Tuesday, March the 1st, we will welcome the world-famous Concordia Choir into a concert here. We will be following all of the standard concert protocols, so be sure to look at what those are as you plan your attendance. The Concordia Choir will be sharing their amazing musical abilities with us, and let me just say this, you don't want to miss it because they're almost as good as our choir, okay? <laughs> On Monday evening, February 28th, we will again have our annual meeting of the congregation via Zoom. We will encourage you to register for the meeting so that you can then get the appropriate link to sign on. So just pay careful attention to that part of our email messages to you as we come to that time, but reserve that on your calendar now, Monday, February 28th at 6 p.m. This is Super Bowl Sunday, of course, which to us means we have been collecting gobs and gobs of soup.
as well as financial support for that. So thank you to all of you who have brought your soup. If you forgot and left the five cases of chicken noodle in your garage, you can still bring them by tomorrow or any time this week, and we're happy to participate in that way in feeding some hungry folks in our area. As you know, the pandemic protocols are changing here in our state and in our county. And so come Tuesday, we will no longer ask folks to be wearing masks at inside events, including, of course, and especially in some sense, worship. We do encourage you, if you want to wear a mask still, that is perfectly fine with us, but we're not asking for that anymore. The protocols for our children's and youth ministries, as well as for our musicians, have yet to change. We're more careful in those ways, but we We'll be letting you know about that. But next Sunday, you're going to have to maybe put on some makeup or decide to smile in church again because I'm going to be able to see your face, especially what's going on as I'm preaching. So just start to get ready now. Well, Jan just mentioned that God doesn't need to flip a coin because God already loves us. And since we don't need those coins, let me ask you to take all of them out of your pocket now and bring them down to these baskets. It's our time to present to God our tithes and our offerings. Come forward if you like, or give in all the other ways that are helpful as we worship and celebrate God in our lives today.
Amen, amen. Thank you. Friends, this is the time in our worship service where we lift up our praises and prayer, lift up prayers of thanksgiving and intercession to the Lord who is excited and who is eager to hear us. So whether you're here in person or online, let us look to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious and loving God, who in the Father of love, through your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who teaches us and who imparts to us love, we come to you, praising you for who you are and who you are to us. The God whose love is steadfast, the Lord whose generous love overflows and abides and abounds towards each and all of us and your world. We give you thanks and praise for you alone are worthy of our worship, holy and living God. You have shown us what love is. In a world, O oh Lord, where oftentimes and in so many places, love is hard to find. Love is hard to experience. And so we come before you, O Lord, with the cares in our lives, both in our personal lives and in the world around us. Hear our prayers, gracious God. Incline your ear to us. Hear from the depths of our souls the cares that we carry, our minds that are tired, our bodies that are often weary and worn. Hear our prayers, O Lord, as we speak them now. Prayers, O Lord, for healing and wholeness for all that are in need of your wholeness in mind, body, and spirit. For all those who are experiencing pain, Lord Jesus Christ, carry it for us. For all those who are in a season of discernment, Holy Spirit, be our wisdom and our guide. For all families represented here in person and online, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would embrace and unfold each household that your love, O oh, oh God, would abound in acts of generous hospitality, in acts of kindness. We pray, Heavenly Father, for so many in this country and around the world who are hurting, who are hungry, who are thirsty. We pray for your provision for food, for water, for justice. In a world, O oh God, that is racked by divisions, by wars and rumors of war. Cause us, O oh God, to cease violence, hostility, and hatred. So that we might live into your vision, your desire for the creation that you have made in your image. That we would live into that where love abides. 
that we would surrender to your peace. That wherever discord, O oh God, is found and where evil is, that you would replace it. Because crucified Jesus Christ, you have vanquished it in your death. You have risen in your resurrection. You have demonstrated to us that decisively, evil is no more. Sin is defeated. We are not a people of despair. But we can live tomorrows with hope and with joy. Because you are the one who is our joy, who is our love, who is our peace. Gracious God, for all of your churches and worshiping communities here and around the world, we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed faithfully in word and in deed, that the mark of your community would be about love, no less than here in our own congregation. Use, O oh God, the faithful preaching of your servant, our pastor Jack, as he proclaims your word to us. Vacate those spaces and places in our lives, O oh God, where we find it difficult to believe and to live in your love, that we would receive your word, and then when those doors are flung open, we will proclaim in word and in deed your love in Jesus Christ to a world that so desperately needs it even in our own lives, O oh God, that we would believe it and trust it and live it. We are bold, we are courageous, we are confident to pray the prayer, those sacred words that are not just words, that your son Jesus Christ demonstrated when he said these words, Heavenly Father, our Father who art, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Friends, stand with me now as you are able, so that together we may receive this reading of the Lord's word from the Gospel according to John. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are talking about love today. We're talking about the king of love. We're talking about the love that we experience and share in our own lives. One of the ways that we want to share that love with you today is in the form of not donut holes. That's our everyday way of loving each other. But frosted sugar cookies that await you on the patio. But have you ever heard of deferred gratification? You can't go yet. Be sure, all of you, the choir has a tendency to sneak out the back and get there first. So everybody be nice to each other and be sure you get a loving cookie today. Love is in the air. Love is a many splendored thing. Love is all you need. Love makes the world go round. Faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. God is love. Last week, we started on an improbable journey and an unexpected journey. Long before Lent starts, we started a walk through the story of the passion of the Christ, the last days, the last hours of Jesus on earth. And as we started that journey, we took particular attention for the people who were part of that story, the people of the passion. We talked about three folks in particular. Anybody care to name them? Who did we talk about last week? Nicodemus, Simon of Cyrene, Joseph of Arimathea. Good, good. Some of you were paying attention. The rest of you are on probation. <laughs> this week, we're going to look at a very brief scene, but it's a blockbuster. Think about the scene, just two verses, a few words that I'm sure Bob was thinking, that was hardly worth standing up for, Jack. <laughs> Let's put ourselves in that scene. Jesus, Jesus is dying, actively dying on the cross. Mary, his mother, the woman who gave him birth, 
is watching her son die. And then there's another person, the disciple whom Jesus loved. We think this disciple also loved Jesus. Two men, one dying, one watching his friend die. I don't care how short the story is. It's powerful. So full of passion, so full of pathos, so full of pain and suffering that we'd prefer not to look, but we must. Jesus we know about, Mary we know about, but who was the disciple whom Jesus loved? There are some clues in the story, clues that speak to us from other parts of the Passion story. There's actually four times in the Gospel according to John when we have this one disciple identified as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The first time is when Jesus and the disciples are sitting in the upper room and Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with the disciples and he transforms the vision of that Passover meal into our understanding of the sacred meal of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. And we are told that the disciple whom Jesus loved was sitting beside him, especially as Jesus identified one of the other disciples the disciple who would betray Jesus. We meet this disciple again on that Sunday morning after the Friday afternoon when Jesus is crucified and dead and buried. Mary Magdalene and some of the women come to the tomb early on Sunday morning in order to anoint Jesus' body because they hadn't had time to do that on Friday before the beginning of the Sabbath and they discover the tomb is empty and so they run immediately to tell the important people in the discipleship troop. They go and tell Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved that the tomb is empty. The other instance occurs after the resurrection. Peter and some of the disciples have gone back home to the Sea of Galilee and they're fishing early one morning and they're catching nothing. And a man appears on the seashore and says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat and lo and behold, they haul in tons of fish and then they realize it's Jesus. The disciple whom Jesus loved was there. And then, of course, the fourth time, there at the cross with Mary and Jesus. Most scholars believe that the disciple whom Jesus loved was actually John himself. John, who was one of the sons of Zebedee, we're told earlier in the story. John, who by tradition uh, had the mother named Salome who was, by tradition, Mary's sister, making John, this disciple whom Jesus loved, actually Mary's nephew. I say by tradition because we don't know for sure. We know that this disciple whom Jesus loved was there 
at many of the key moments in Jesus' ministry. And so perhaps it was John, the author of the gospel, according to John. If it's that John, he's one of the big three. Peter and James and John are always with Jesus at key moments. Who was this disciple? What was his name? I will give you the definitive answer now. We don't know. And I would propose to you that maybe it's not all that important a matter for us to know the name of this disciple. Because what we know about the disciple himself is more important than his name. What we know is that he knows he's loved. He knows he's loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Some people think that as John was writing the gospel that he did not want to draw attention to himself and so he referred to himself in this oblique way, but it's not just a ruse, it's not just a cover. He could have thought of a lot of ways to identify himself or maybe not even identify himself at all, but here is what he said about himself. The key thing about him was that Jesus loved him. He knew that. Of course, Jesus loved all the disciples. They knew that too. They had all learned it over time as they had walked with Jesus and learned from Jesus. They learned even more about that love after the resurrection. That was Peter's experience. We'll talk about Peter in a few weeks. You remember the story, though, of Peter after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, when, G when Peter has denied Jesus three times and then they're fixing some fish for breakfast beside the sea and Jesus appears and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, I do, I do, I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And Peter is restored. All the disciples had met Jesus and walked with Jesus. They had been confronted with who Jesus was, challenged to change their thinking and to change their lives, comforted with the knowledge that Jesus loved them, and there is nothing more important to them than that Jesus loved them. Think about it. There's nothing more important in life than knowing that someone loves you. We are told that perhaps the single most important transaction that occurs in a brand new person's life is when they learn to trust the world because they have the loving arms of a mother and father to care for them. Before a child even knows what love is, before a child is able to put words to that emotion, before a child understands anything about the world, they understand either that the world is to be trusted or the world is not to be trusted. They understand that they are loved or that they are not loved. And it makes all the difference. Those who perpetrate great evil in the world are often those who are convinced that no one loves them those who perhaps from the very beginning of their lives did not have that basic love given to them. All the disciples eventually come to realize what this one disciple writes out in his gospel, that they are loved by God. There's more to it than that, though. 
This disciple had learned that being a loved one determines who you yourself will be. Think about that. The gospel according to John is shot through with this concept of love, with this lifting up of love. It's one of the reasons we think it was John who was the disciple whom Jesus loved because he wanted to talk about love all the time. (laughs) In the long conversations that John records between Jesus and the disciples on the night, especially before Jesus was arrested, John writes for us these words from Jesus that we know so well. When Jesus said that no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. By tradition, it is this same disciple who writes those three brief letters that we have included later on in the canon of the New Testament Letters that speak all about God's love for us and the love that God calls forth from us. For this is the message you have heard, John writes in his letters from the beginning, that we should love one another. I would propose that your name is not as important as your true identity. It's not as important as your character, as who you are. This disciple knew that he was loved. Therefore, he was called to love others. And yet, we'd love to know his name, wouldn't we? Why is a name so important? Anybody here ever read... How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's still a great book. I commend it to you. Dale Carnegie says in that book, written in the early 1900s, about how to manipulate people, basically, (laughs) in a good way. He says that the single most important, beautiful sound in any language is your name. Think about it. Think about how terrible it feels when someone pronounces your name incorrectly. Does that ever happen to anyone here? Think about how embarrassing it is when you don't remember a person's name or say their name incorrectly. Anybody here ever been covered in the newspaper and they spell your name wrong? They can get all the other facts wrong. It doesn't make any difference if they spell your name wrong. That's an affront to our personal identity and being. Our name is so important to us because we are self-centered people. But our name is not what's important. What's important is our character, what's inside of us, the inner quality of being, of who we are. When we know that we are loved as this disciple knew that he was loved, then he knew that he was called to love others. From out of the love that had filled his heart, he was called to love others. And yet that doesn't always come naturally to us, does it? One of my great theological heroes is a guy named Dallas Willard. Dallas is with the Lord now, but years and years ago, long after he had become very famous, very well known in certain circles of the church, he wrote an article that began this way. He said, I learned recently that I had to admit to God that I did not love my neighbors. We're told to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? 
Dallas admitted it right there in print. I think it was in Christianity Today. He said, I did not love my neighbors. And by that, he literally meant the people who lived next door to him. Now, based on his description of them, I don't think they were the kind of people who would necessarily be reading a theological magazine. There was trash all over the, their yard. They were loud and obnoxious and rude. They were not the kind of people that you would want to live next to. Maybe you are that kind of person that others don't want to live next to. I don't know. But he simply had to say, I did not love my neighbors. I didn't love those neighbors. And yet that was the call of Jesus, was it not? To love our neighbors. From out of the very character and being of love that is within us, that God builds into us, that God calls forth from us, we are meant to love others. This disciple knew that. He also knew that real love within you creates a community of love with other people in real time, in real places, with real people like your neighbors, perhaps, whom you find difficult to love. Again, let's look back at this situation as Jesus himself is dying on the cross. His mother who loves him looks on as her son is tortured and killed. His friend who loves him is looking on as he is tortured and killed. This man who's hanging on the cross is hanging there because he loves the two who are watching and loves everyone else. We know that there is nothing more difficult than watching someone we love suffer. If we truly love someone, we would far rather suffer ourselves, would we not, than to watch them suffer? But here they all are suffering. Mary and this unnamed disciple are suffering as Jesus suffers. Jesus suffers as he watches them suffering. But in the midst of that horrible, terrible, hellish situation. There is a divine call, a divine word. When Jesus says, Mary, mother, behold your son. And to the disciple, he says, behold your mother. We are told in this story that from that moment on, the beloved disciple took Mary into his own home. Real love always results in the creation of a family, of a community, of a situation that exists between two people or two billion people where we love each other. All the suffering of this world, all the agony of this world, ultimately can only find its solution as we learn to love each other. There are, of course, in this world, real threats to peace, 
such as in the Ukraine. There are real threats to human thriving, such as in the fact that there are perhaps 20,000 children in this state alone who now are left without parents or someone to care for them because of their death from COVID-19. Those are just two examples from out there. What about from in your own life, your own suffering? We are beloved. We are called to be beloved. And in being beloved, to be loving to others in the real world, in the real time that we live, with the real neighbors who live next door to us, with the real people who are part of our lives. Your name, your name is the disciple whom Jesus loves. And so, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Amen. Thank you, Jack. Friends, let us respond to God's word by by affirming our faith through the sacred words of 1 John chapter 4. In one voice, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. Amen.
today and tomorrow, even the day after tomorrow, when everything's on sale from Valentine's Day, you're going to see hearts everywhere, cupids everywhere. That's fine. That can remind us that the name of any disciple is incidental. But the loving character, the loving acts of every disciple is indispensable. You are loved, so start loving. Keep loving. Welcome others into love. Happy Valentine's Day. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and always. Amen.